came to shout out his name, and you shouted out his name. And didn't it feel good? I tell you, he doesn't need our praise. We need to praise him. That's the truth of the matter. Because when we praise him, it does something to us. It excites the Holy Spirit in us, and when the Holy Spirit gets excited in us, look out. God is able to do and to reveal and to, to bless us in some amazing ways. Well, today we start a new journey together. We've been talking about it for the last several weeks. Tonight on the History Channel at 8 o'clock, the History Channel is going to, to begin a new mini-series that will last for the next five weeks. That's called The Bible. And Mark Burnett is the creator of this, and he's the one who created like Survivor and, and the, the Voice and many of these great shows on television that so many of you enjoy. And so we know it's going to be dynamic. But what we're rejoicing about as a church is not only that we get to see the Bible come to life, but it's a tool that we can use to reach out to our unchurched family members and unchurched neighbors and unchurched co-workers and try to get them to watch the program. That's the whole idea. Maybe you need to invite them over and pop some popcorn, have some soda, or maybe just encourage them and, and talk about it at work or talk about it uh, when you talk with them uh, throughout the week. But here's how this is going to work. It's going to be a little unusual. Normally in this kind of a, a setup, what happens as you watch the episodes, and then I would come in and pick one of those things that you saw and talk about it. Well, this is going to work a little different. I'm actually going to talk about something you haven't seen yet. I'm going to choose one of the stories that you will see tonight in, in the episodes that view tonight or tomorrow on Lifetime or Wednesday again on the History Channel and highlight one story that is particularly significant in God's relationship with mankind. Now, here's the, the, the good thing is that you can now take this, what we learned today, and use it in your conversations. And as you talk about the, the uh, episodes that you will see this week, point this out and say, what did you think about that one episode where and what we'll talk about today? And then you'll be able to talk intelligently and from a scriptural basis about that and encourage them to develop a relationship with God. Now, I hope that it's going to bless you too, this series. And I hope that, that you'll see Bible stories like you never saw them before. And, and I hope that you'll gain a better appreciation for God's redemptive plan for all mankind. And most of all, I hope that you'll experience greater insight into how much God loves you. Now, as we prepare to look at these episodes and, and learn more about the Bible and go a little deeper with God, we have to understand that Perspective drives every life story. There's always more than one perspective whenever we either view or experience a human event. Such was the case in Rome one time when the Christian population and the Jewish population were growing so large that both agreed that one of the communities had to leave. It couldn't support them both. And so it was decided that there would be a debate between the Pope and the, the leading rabbi. And whoever won the debates, people got to stay, and who lost, they had to leave. But it was agreed that the whole debate would be done in a public forum in St. Peter's Square, and they would only use signs and symbols, no spoken words. So the day of, of the great debate arrived, and St. Peter's Square was filled with people, and they went out into the balcony where the Pope addresses folks, and began, and the Pope was up first, and with a great sweeping gesture with both hands from his chest, he made a big arch outward and upward. The rabbi looked at him, 
shook his head, and with his index finger put down, his arm extended, began pumping down towards the ground. The Pope turned and flashed three fingers. The rabbi shook his head and flashed one. The Pope observed communion. And then the rabbi reached down and took an apple and bit into it. With that, the Pope shrugged and walked off, and all the cardinals followed him. And with that, the the Jewish rabbi leader walked off, and all the other rabbis walked off with him. And they went into separate rooms. And all the cardinals approached the the Pope, and they said, well, what happened? And he said, we lost. we got to leave. And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I made a gesture saying that God is everywhere. But the rabbi said, no, God is right here. I said, but God exists in three persons, the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. And he says, no, God is one. And then I I, I partook of the communion to to show that that sin had been taken care of by Jesus Christ. He bit into the apple to remind us, yes, but sin, the original sin still has its scourge upon mankind and brings pain into our lives. I I didn't know what to say. We're we're done. We got to leave. Well, in the meantime... The Jewish rabbi was meeting with his community. And they said, what happened? He said, I have no idea. They said, what happened? He said, well, well, the Pope said, all you Jews got to leave Rome. I said, we're staying right here. He said, you got three days. I said, not one of us is leaving. He said, well, what happened then? He said, I don't know. He ate his lunch, I ate mine, and we left. See, every life story is driven by perspective. And in the biblical story that we're going to examine today, perspective is going to play a critical role. up. When you have children of your own, you'll want them to grow up as big and... Abraham? What's the matter? God wants a sacrifice. My boy, come with me.
firewood. But where's the lamb? The Lord will provide a sacrifice, my son. Take a lamb. No, mistress. You wouldn't.
an unbelievable but true story. Now, as in with any made-for-television or made-for-Hollywood film, there's artistic license taken in it. One of the main ones is that Abram didn't take Isaac and just go up the hill a short distance from their camp. It was actually a three-day journey into the wilderness. And he took two servants with them to, to help. And then when he was going to offer Isaac, he, he had the servants wait behind, and he took Isaac ahead. And the scene that you saw probably played out fairly closely to that. Sarah was nowhere around, had no knowledge of, of what was going on that we are aware. When we look at this, and every time I look at it, I get teary-eyed. The whole scenario is just unimaginable. It really is. And in order to make any sense of it, in order to take anything away today from here, of eternal value, perspective is going to have to play out. There's at least four important perspectives this morning that play out in this story. One, of course, is Isaac's perspective. And we really don't know a lot about it. The Bible doesn't real, reveal much about Isaac's response to all of this. But we certainly see his innocence. When on the way up, he asks his father, who is carrying the fire and a torch and a knife. He says, Father, we have the fire, we have the knife, we have the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide the sacrifice. Can't imagine the horror that he experiences all of a sudden after building the altar. His father began to wrap rope around him and bind him and then lay him on that altar. We, we can't even begin to imagine the fear that must have gripped him, the pain that must have been there, the ultimate relief. When Abraham, his father, took him off the sacrifice and cut those ropes off. The Bible doesn't really tell us specifically what happened after that in his relationship with his dad. Just from a human perspective, we, we, we might say it could have never been the same again. It could have never been trust again. But, you know, God does amazing things. And from what we can tell from biblical evidence is that Isaac and his father Abraham went on to have a very loving and intimate relationship with each other. So much though, so that when Abraham died, Isaac prepared a very loving and lavish funeral for his father and honored him in the land. There was certainly Abraham's perspective. And I doubt that there was a father or a mother here today who wasn't emotionally driven by that clip that we looked at, maybe even traumatized. As we look at this story, we look from 21st century eyes that have a filter of, of a different kind of civilization. We, we look at this story through hundreds of years of scriptural revelation about who God is and what God has done for us. But remember, in Abraham's times, things were much different. A Abraham was just encountering. God had called him. He was living in a city called Ur that would be in modern-day Iraq. 
And God had called him one day and just said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you among all the peoples of the earth. I'm going to make your, your, your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. I want you just to pick up and start walking, and I'll sh- tell you when to stop. Leave everything behind. Don't take your family. Don't t- take other than your, your wife and your children. Leave everything else behind. He said, all the people of the earth are going to be blessed through you. Well, that's a pretty good promise by God. And so he got up and started the journey. But when this command came, understand that in the day that Abram was living, this was not an unusual experience. From Ur, from where he left, the the pagan polytheistic religion had several deities that demanded sacrifices, human sacrifices. There was a rain goddess who demanded a human sacrifice every year to send rain for the crops. There was a fertility goddess who demanded a human sacrifice every year. There were polytheistic religions all over earth that were characterized by sacrificing children and virgin women. It really wasn't an unusual thing, and perhaps Abraham thought, this God is, I guess, like those gods. For we see no real struggle. We don't see him after God said it, going back to Sarah and saying, Sarah, you won't believe what just happened. And we, we don't see that, that moral struggle. Undoubtedly, there was a struggle, though. What was Abraham's perspective in all this? Well, it was this perspective that developed over those days of walking to that place. And God did not fully reveal what was going on in the heart and the mind of Abraham until hundreds and hundreds of years later. In fact, Christ had already come, been crucified, risen, and ascended back into heaven. And God inspired a writer of a New Testament manuscript that we call the book of Hebrews. And in the 11th chapter of that book, Today, we call the God's Faith Hall of Fame. It lists some amazing biblical characters who who exercised great faith at God's leading. And they're honored. And above them all, Abraham is honored. In that 11th chapter, it gives Abraham's perspective. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 17, By faith Abraham, when tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, God had previously told him, it's through Isaac that I'm going to bless you. It's through Isaac and his descendants that all people of the earth will be blessed. And now he's told him to go sacrifice his son. Well, not on a short jaunt up the side of a mountain, but on a three-day journey, don't you know that Abraham was rehearsing over and over again. What is this about? How can this be? How can I kill this son? He's the one who God promised he was going to bless me through. Undoubtedly, in constant prayer with God and communion with God, seeking some reason. Finally, Scripture reveals that God gave him the reason. That verse goes on to say, verse 19, Abraham reasoned. After giving it all the thought and prayer and and considering who God was and what God had already brought him through, he reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, that's what happened. God gave him Isaac back from a knife coming down to take his life. 
See, he reasoned that, listen, even if God, for some reason that is unimaginable, would have me carry through this sacrifice and kill my son and burn his flesh and bones to ashes, God has the power to bring him back to life again. In fact, when he dropped his servants off and he, he, he said, you wait here and we're going to go make the sacrifice, he declared to his servants, we will return. Somehow, God gave him that extra gear that we've been talking about lately, that, that peace that passes understanding. Somehow, God communicated to Abraham's soul and his heart and his spirit that what his eyes were seeing was not how this was going to play out. And in fact, as he was about to slay his son, the angel of the Lord cried out, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham simply said, here am I. He said, don't touch your son. I have provided a sacrifice. Maybe the most important perspective is God's perspective. Why would God do this? What was God thinking? How could God be honored and glorified through this? When when we read this story, and I encourage you to read it in Genesis, the very first manuscript in your Bible, chapter 22, read read the story later today. As we read it or we see it played out on on a video, we cannot imagine, we can't fathom why God would do something like that. What was God's perspective? Well, he has revealed clearly to us through Scripture that it was a test. That he was testing Abraham. Now, why would he test Abraham? Abraham had already left everything he had and, and, at, the, at the command of the Lord and the promise of the Lord and left his family and his father and, and all his lands and he just started walking. Well, he had faith, yeah, but he had a great promise too. But after that, Abraham began to to display acts that portrayed a lack of faith in God. A famine came, and he had to go down with Sarah to to Egypt. And when he got down there on the way, instead of trusting that God was going to take care of him there, he said to his wife, listen, you are really beautiful. And when the Egyptians see your beauty, they're going to want you. And if they think that you're my wife, they're going to kill me so they can have you. So when we go down there, you tell them that you're my sister, not my wife. And that's how it played out. And sure enough, some of Pharaoh's attendants saw her and and how beautiful of a woman she was. And they brought her before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh wanted to add her to his harem. And so he paid Abraham great deals of money and gave him cattle and sheep and goats. And he took... Sarah, into his own household. And then God began to to deliver plagues on Pharaoh. And it was revealed to Pharaoh that Sarah wasn't his sister, he was his wife, and he called Abraham back and he said, what have you done? Why have you treated me so deceitfully? You've brought all this trouble on my house. She's not your sister, she's your wife. What were you thinking? And he said, just get out. His name Besmirch in God's name had no glory to it. Well, a short while later, Abraham and Sarah, they're getting old and they don't have any children yet. 
And so God said, no, don't worry, it's going to happen. But now, now Sarah's like 90 and Abraham's 100 years old and saying, I guess God's not going to do it, so we better take over. So they, con- they contrive this, this plan where Abraham is going to lie with, with, with Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. And Hagar is going to produce a child for them. And so this happens, and a male child is born. They call him Ishmael. And it causes great chaos in the family, and ultimately they have to drive Hagar and Ishmael away. And it's brought great chaos in the world, and that's a whole other story. And then God, to try to, 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 to encourage them again, sent three visitors to them and told them, no, it, it's going to happen you're going to have a child. And Abraham laughed and he said, I'm 100 years old. And Sarah's listening in on the conversation for the other room and she's chuckling. She's going, I'm going to have a baby. I'm like, I'm like 90 some years old. I'm not having no baby. And then later, in the land of Gerar, same thing happens. They're going to this new kingdom and, and Abram has not learned his lesson about God's provision in Egypt. And he says, listen, when we get to this land, they're going to see your beauty, and so tell them that you're my sister. Again, the whole thing plays out. King Abimelech now takes him into the house and takes her as his wife, and now God says to King Abimelech, I am going to kill you for defiling that woman. Fortunately, he had not defiled her yet. He had not touched her, and he pleaded with God, and again, Abraham was brought forward in disgrace. Then Abraham, right before this event, drives Hagar and Ishmael away, gives them a canteen of water and a little bit of food and puts them out in the desert. And weren't for God's intervention, they would have died there. Abraham's not doing too well. And God is entrusting Abraham with the most important assignment in the history of mankind. It is through Abraham and his offspring that the Messiah will be born into the world. And Abraham's got to learn to trust God. And so God gives him a test unlike any other test. When the angel of the Lord stayed his hand from killing his son, back in Genesis twenty-two twelve, the angel of the Lord cries out, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. He says, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son. Amazingly, after this event, the character and the integrity in the life of Abraham was totally transformed. No longer do we see him with these conniving, shifting deals with people. We see him acting completely open and honest with utmost integrity, and he built a name of respect for him, but more importantly, a name of respect for God Jehovah that he followed. So that's it. That's God's plan. No, God always has much more in everything. Not only was it a test, I believe it was a declaration. This was a declaration to Abraham and to those that would follow Abraham and follow God Jehovah that I am not like the pagan gods. I do not require the blood of human beings. I will never have you sacrifice a child. I will never have you sacrifice a virgin. I will never have you place a human being on an altar and slaughter them because I am not a God who kills. I am a God who brings life. I am the God who provides. But even more importantly, from God's perspective, it was a demonstration. Some 4,000 years later, 
this same scene would play out again. Only this time, it wasn't Isaac. This time, it was another one and only son whose name was Jesus. And God looked down at his only son and knew that he had to sacrifice that son. And as the Roman scourge came down on his son's back and literally ripped the flesh and the muscle and the bone off of his body with each blow, there was no one from heaven crying out, Stop it! Stop it! God had to watch his own son carry the wood of his sacrifice on his back up the mountain, the Mount of Calvary. Only this time it wasn't a bundle of kindling, this time it was a cross. And God had to watch as Roman pagan soldiers drove nails into his hands and to his feet and lift him up and suspend him in shame between heaven and earth where the people railed at him and mocked him. there was no one there was no voice of mercy there was no pardon there was no relief there was no one screaming stop it stop it don't do it and where Isaac was spared by a sacrifice God provided Jesus died on that sacrificial altar we know that God feels emotion He gave us emotion. He created us like him in his likeness. We know that God can experience anger. We know that God's heart can be filled with compassion. Through Jesus, we even see God weep. I can't imagine, as God looked at that scene that Abraham was confronted with, only Abraham was anticipating a horrific outcome. God knew the outcome was coming. And maybe in the darkest time, Scripture reveals when Jesus is hanging on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 45, that, that there was a darkness that came on the earth that was almost like night. And this was in the morning after the sun had already risen. A full day was yet to come. Said in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is interpreted to be, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, the tears began to swell up in my eyes when I saw Isaac in that that scene laying on the altar crying out, Daddy, no, Daddy, no, Daddy, no, Daddy. And here's Jesus, the one and only Son of God, crying out from the cross, Daddy, where are you? God was declaring and demonstrating that he didn't demand that we, you and me, give him the sacrifice. He provided the sacrifice for us because he is the God who provides. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
God had to do what our minds could not even begin to imagine in a human experience. God had to divinely allow his son to die as a sacrifice for sin. But there's one more important perspective. That's your perspective. What will you do with this amazing story? How will you allow this amazing story and its spiritual application to change you? Maybe you're here today and your life is being characterized by some kind of test. Things just aren't going real well right now. And no matter how you dissect it and how you look at it, you just can't make any sense. You don't understand what's going on. You don't understand why the pain is there. You don't understand why the circumstances are what they are and and you're crying out to God. Well, maybe you'll take from this story today that you're not crying out to a deaf God. You're not crying out to an uncaring God. You're crying out to a God who says, I am the God who provides. And maybe you'll take hope and you'll take encouragement today that God has not turned his eye, that God that has turned a deaf ear to you, that God knows, that God cares, and sometimes, somehow, God is going to reach down and touch you in a way that you could never imagine. Maybe God is calling you today to see him in a whole new light. Maybe you see him like the vast majority of the world see God or or whatever forces out there as some kind of of a very mean, judgmental, vengeful God and force. And people in most other world religions, almost all other world religions beside Christianity, are thinking somehow we've got to appease this angry presence in the universe. Somehow I've got to do something spectacular. Somehow I've got to live an exemplary life. Somehow I've got to be ready to meet him and him look at my life and see value in it and say, okay, I'm going to let you in. Maybe God wants you to know today that that's not who he is. He's not a God that's demanding you do anything. He's a God that says, I've already provided. Jesus died on the cross for you. You don't have to sacrifice. I gave the sacrifice. I made the sacrifice. And it's my gift to you. And maybe today that's exactly what you need. Maybe today you need that gift. You need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You need to allow Jesus Christ to pay your sin debt. You need to allow Jesus Christ to adopt you into God's family. A journey from death to life, that's a journey we all start on. But life is at the other end of the journey because God is a God of love. God is a God of compassion. God is a God of forgiveness. God is the God who has provided. And Jesus, who was that sacrifice himself, said in John 5, 24, I tell you the truth. How many believe Jesus tells the truth? He says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. Why? Because you've taken a journey from death to life. You've crossed over from death to life. God has paid your price. God has sealed your destiny because he is the God who provides.
Let's bow our heads. What will you take with you today? God, help us to see you in a new way. Lord, help us to love you in a new way. And God, help us to, to have hope. And Lord, help us to want to surrender our all to you. To trust you with everything we are and everything we have. Believing that you are the God who provides. Lord, as now we honor you and the sacrifice that you made through the partaking of communion, may this be our gift and our time of remembrance and love and appreciation extended to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. As you receive the tray, take a cracker, put it on your lap, then take one of the cups and hold it until we've all partaken or received it and then we'll partake together as we receive it listen to me one more time just for a few more minutes another perspective we could put in is Jesus's perspective because Jesus actually had to live what Isaac only had to encounter without negative end and unlike Isaac, who walked up that mountain totally oblivious to the fact that his father was about to bind him and lay him on an altar and raise a knife in preparation to kill him, to sacrifice him to God. In his innocence, Isaac saying, but father, where's the sacrifice? And his father, knowing full well that his son was the sacrifice. Well, Jesus knew Jesus knew he was the sacrifice. Jesus knew what had to happen and what he had to do. In the final night of his life, after having celebrated the Passover with his disciples in the upper room that you hear so much about, somewhere during the dinner, Jesus, as recorded in Luke 22, verse 19, said to his disciples, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to him, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. In other words, Jesus said, listen, I know what's about to happen to me. I'm not going naively out of this night. I know exactly what's going to happen. Jesus later said, no one takes my life. I lay it down freely. Why? Because he loved you so much. And because he knew that he was the only way. He knew that there was no way that we could ever live a good enough life to get to heaven. He knew that there was no denomination that could ever get it right enough to lead people there. In fact, Jesus declared, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. What are you depending on? If it's anything but Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. But today, God wants to give you that gift, and all you need to do to receive the gift is, is just humbly ask for it. Maybe in a prayer that goes something like this, and you can use this prayer if you want, God. I fully confess that I'm a sinner. I know I haven't lived life perfectly. God, I need your forgiveness, and I want your forgiveness. I get it now, God. Jesus was a sacrifice for me. 
Jesus died on that cross for me. Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for me. Jesus poured out his blood for me. Jesus, I want to honor you by trusting in you alone as my Savior. Today, Jesus, I believe on the name of the Son of God for eternal life and no one or nothing else. Jesus, today, be my Savior. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And that's what God just did for every man, every woman who just said that prayer sincerely from your heart. Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, these things are right to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John 1, 12 says, yet to as many as received him, to those who believe on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Oh, my friends, the God who provides has our back. The God who provides knows our life, knows our circumstances. Somehow, some way, He'll do what only he can do. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he passed it to his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner, Jesus took the cup, and he passed to his disciples, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Father, thank you. Thank you for this amazing story. Thank you for this amazing video portrayal that really gripped our hearts and helped us to understand a little bit more of the sacrifice you made for us. We were horrified when it was a human being, a human father getting ready to sacrifice his son. But, Father, often our hearts are not stung at all by the sacrifice that you made of your only son. God, we love you. Help us to love you more every day. And thank you that you are the God who provides. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to sing a song and dismiss in a moment. I want to remind you before we do, last week we ran out of two resources that we talked to you about. One is a 30-day experience in God. It's a devotional that starts tomorrow, and it will follow the episodes that we're going to be watching on TV with the Bible. Tonight on the History Channel, 8 o'clock. Tomorrow night, Lifetime, 8 o'clock. And then Wednesday on History Channel, again, I'm not sure of the time. But if you want a a daily devotional to to walk through those stories with the Lord, those are available in the back. And then I showed you an amazing Bible software program last week that that you can use to learn more. And as you learn these stories, type the names of the people in it. It'll show you every verse in the Bible that has that name in it. So that we can learn more about the God who provides so that our confidence in Him can be can be increased. And we ran out of both these last week. We have more at the resource table for those who would like to go. Some of you signed up for one. We have your copy. It's available. Let's stand and let's one more time sing to the God who provides. And again-